0: If you're expecting, the prophet said, you get what you expect. If you're not expecting much, you won't get much. But I believe the Lord is here once again, as he, I'm sure every service, he's here to speak. If you're here to listen, man, I believe he can speak personally. I've, I've seen it happen different times in my ministry. Brother uh, Timothy mentioned it as well. It just the Lord is able to speak personally. I've seen that happen so many times. The Bible says the Lord is a, a discerner. You know, we think about the prophet, and I've had that too. I wish maybe I could go, you know, when I'm in trouble. I wish Brother Brandon was here. I'd go and he'd see a vision. But you don't need that. The word is a discerner. If you have a need tonight, he can speak personally to you. Personally to your need, if you're willing to listen. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your presence among us. We know you're already here. And Lord, we come to this part of the service. Lord, we, I have nothing to offer these people, Lord. And Lord, I, all that I want to do is yield this vessel to you. I don't want to say one word of my own thinking, Lord. But I pray that you would speak through me. You know these people, Lord. You know the needs that might be among them. You know where a word might be needed, Lord. And I pray that you would allow us to say those things that would be helpful that would be edifying, Lord, to your people tonight, we pray. We just commit this part of the service to you now for your glory and honor. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll have you turn to the the scriptures. I don't want to keep you standing to Genesis 19. Genesis 19. Read beginning from the 27th verse. through to the 29th verse. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and behold all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities. In the which lot dwelt, you may be seated before I, before I speak on, on what the Lord's put on my heart tonight, there was I was listening as I was coming up here, I was in New Orleans here for for work, and I, and I drove up today, which is a little bit of a drive, and so I had the opportunity to listen to a message and, and the message I listened to was I stand at the door and knock, and in there, brother Branham you know, gives the example and he uses it in many places. He talks about, he said, if I was hungry and somebody gave me 25 cents, he said, you know, I could be just as happy with that as with the bread that I need. But in this message, he, hit, he went on in a little bit more detail because, and I think it's something that maybe we miss. So the purchase power is, is is equivalent to the faith that we that we get when we you know, and that's the piece, but, but, the, but the prophet preached another message that said, "tested faith produces goods, and we're maybe not accustomed to the fact that many times God tests us a little bit with our faith because you don't need faith if your need is met. If God comes tonight and you reach out and you, you get an instant healing, an instant answer, well, there's no faith being exercised too much there, but but the faith is what stands there in the place of the thing that you hope for. That's what the Bible says. It's an actual substance. And so, and so Brother Branham said, I'm just as good with this 25 cents in my hand. But I want you to notice some things he said that really kind of struck me. He said, he said, I get this 25 cents. And he said, I go down the street. And he said, I cross over the river. And I go through the briar patch. So, you know, he, he doesn't get the bread right off. It doesn't happen overnight sometimes. He said, I'm getting hungrier. I'm getting hungrier all the time. He said, I haven't got the bread yet, but all the time I'm going, I'm rejoicing. Because I've got the purchase power, but not just the purchase power, Brother Branham said, but the assurance that the bread belongs to me. And that's the thing the devil, I think, gets a lot of us at is is we believe that God can do it. We believe God can heal us. We believe God can deliver us. We believe God can save our loved ones. He can do it. But you gotta go from the can to the will. That God will do it. That it's mine. It's not just possible, but that it's going to happen. And that's where the faith comes in. So he said, he said, I've got the purchase power and the assurance that the bread belongs to me. And he goes on. He said, before I get there, he said, I might have cramps. I'm so hungry. He said, I might have cramps. I, I might get delirious, he said, till I'm fighting my way through the bushes like a madman. He said, I could get like that. That's how bad it could get. But as long as I'm holding the 25 cents, he said, the bread has got to come. It has got to come. So what is the devil doing when you get that faith in a service that the Lord is going to meet your need? Now the devil's trying to get you to lose that 25 cents. You've got it in your hand, but he's trying to knock it out of your hand. Uh, about a year ago, and it's a story for another day, but I was running, I run a little bit for exercise, and I was going across the road street with a fellow, uh, I was ahead of him, and this lady was coming in a car, I thought she saw me, but she didn't, and she was traveling fairly quickly, and I got hit, and thrown about 20 feet in the air, but I had pulled my phone out, because I was near the end of my run, and it and it knocked the phone out of my hand, but I didn't actually know it did, and if it wasn't for the fellow that was there, I wouldn't have even got it back probably i I wasn't even looking for it because of the distraction so you're you're claiming something you got the 25 cents you're claiming something then the devil comes along with something else and he tries to get you to let go of that faith you got but you've got to hold on to that for dear life because that is your assurance of your victory of whatever it is that you're claiming because god will come through he will He'll come through. He'll bring it to pass. But we can't prescribe when. The prophet said we can't, say, we can't tell God when. He will answer. But we can't prescribe when it's going to be. Now I want to go to my thought. I want to speak on the thought of when God remembers. When God remembers. Now God we know. The Bible says God, is, he doesn't look like us. The Bible says we have never seen God. No man has seen God at any time. He dwells in another dimension prophet said he dwells in a place he's he's a being he dwells in a place but we don't know what he looks like you know he's in that realm that other dimension that we can't see but we know that he can come to this one whenever he chooses to and declare himself but we do notice also in the scripture because God wants to be personal with us that throughout the scriptures we see the Bible describe him with these personal attributes he personifies many of his attributes so we read about God hearing we read about God speaking and and touching and all these things that are human attributes but we see God expressing those and we also read and can see where it speaks about God's mind and about God's memory and about God remembering is where we're coming to but of course God's memory is not like our memory our memory is is not good many times you know it is said that every experience we ever have that that those thoughts and those experiences are all there in our mind. Our trouble is bringing those memories and those thoughts to the forefront. Sometimes it takes a trigger. I was somewhere one time many years ago, and, and I, and I smelt a, a certain smell. And when I smelt that, it took me back to when I was in elementary school, when my mother used to pack me a lunch in this particular. I had a lunchbox, a yellow lunchbox that flipped open. I had a thermos on one side, my lunch in the other, and she used to tape... A dime or 10, 15 cents in the top I'd use to buy milk. And all of a sudden that, that memory, which I probably hadn't thought about maybe since then, come flooding back just from that trigger. But God doesn't need a trigger for his memory because he knows everything that has ever happened or ever will happen. But God does remember. And, 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 but his, his remembrance, if you take the definition of remember, it just simply means to call to mind. And with God, he can call to mind any thought at any time. And so every promise that God has ever made in the scriptures, he has not forgotten it. But there's a time when he will bring that thought forward. He will remember it. It could be triggered by something that we do, or it could be just something he does. And we want to look at a few examples in the scripture just to build some background for this thought. I want to look at Noah, first of all. We all know the story of Noah, how that he was called out that God was going to send a judgment upon the earth a flood of waters he understood that he believed that he preached the message he built an ark and then there was a day that came when God sent the animals in and told Noah it's your turn now to go in the ark and he closes the door I want to look at this timeline there's many descriptions of how the timing of this went I'm just taking one of them they're all fairly close but we know that he went in the ark and he was there for seven days first of all Nothing happened, no rain. Brother Bram talks about that. I'm not going to take that time. So he's there for seven days. Then the rain begins. And it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. So now he's in the ark for 47 days. Now, the purpose of this flood, as Noah understands it, is to destroy all flesh that breathe the breath. Well, after that 47 days, maybe add a couple days if you want, pretty much everything was gone then. The work was accomplished. And it doesn't say much about what Noah thought. But if I was Noah sitting in the ark with what I understood about things, I'd be kind of thinking it was soon time to get out. You know, because the work is done. Why am I still here? But yet we know that the flood covered the earth for another 150 days after that. So now we're up to 197 days. Why? And I can't imagine that Noah wouldn't have thought that in his mind. You know, why is God waiting why is God delaying, you know, taking me out? And maybe somebody has an answer. But we know that many a times we go through things in life for which the answer escapes us. We don't know why it happens. And the why question is not wrong. It's just the, it's the attitude with which we, we have it. But, but wondering why is normal. It's normal. You remember Gideon in the Bible. Gideon was there, a faithful man, a believer. But but you know he was under the pressure of the enemy all the time and this man this angel of the lord comes to gideon and you remember what he says to him he says you know you you are he calls him a mighty man of valor now gideon i'm sure gideon was just scratching his head over that because how on earth is that possible i'm a mighty man of valor and i'm being i'm being overrun by these by this enemy of israel and and yet he was Because God sees you and he sees me differently than we see ourselves. Because we see our faults and we see our failures and we fail every day. Brother Brown said we fail every day. And so those failures, the enemy loves to bring them up. He loves to condemn us because of them. And that that dwelling on those things hinders our faith many times. Because we think, well, God's not going to answer my prayer because I'm such a failure. But that's not true. And that's not the way God sees you. But Gideon asked, you know, asked why, and even Jesus, you know, on the cross. Jesus was on the cross there, and we know the weight of the sins coming upon his shoulders, and as that takes place, we know that the, the, the Father, whose presence he's always felt his whole life, and now in his darkest time, sometimes that's the way it seems in your darkest trial, when you're looking for God, it's when he seems to vanish, And so he he feels the presence of the father pulling away, and he cries out. He says, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why? And so the why question is not the problem. But remember, God never goes far, even if he seems away. Remember Job in the Bible, in his trial, in his deep trial, he went looking for God. You read the scripture, I look forward. Can't find him. I look backward. I look left. And I look to the right. He's not there. In fact, he even said, he even acknowledged that God was hiding himself. He was hiding himself. But he had a revelation which we all need to have. That even if you can't see God, he can always see you. Job said he knew that the Lord knows the way that I take, he said. He knows where you are. There's no pit that's so black that God's eyes can't pierce down into it. There's no place you can be where God doesn't see where you are. And so Noah's in the ark for all this time, 150, 197 days now. But then we come to Genesis 8 and 1. And in Genesis 8 and 1, we don't see any trigger for this. We don't see somebody praying or crying out. We're going to see some examples of that. But in this case, the Bible just simply says, and God remembered Noah. But God had never forgotten Noah. It's not because he forgot about him. But it was time now. And when God, when God remembers, it's because he's about to do something. He's about to act. The Bible says God remembered Noah, every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. But now you look at that. And Noah probably recognized. He probably heard the wind and thought, now God is doing something. I'm going to get out of here soon. But you know, he was there for a while, another 74 days. God could have dried those waters up in a day. But 74 days, he's there, the winds blow and he hears it. And all of a sudden, as after, after 74 days, they can see the tops of the mountains. So we're getting there, but then there's another 40 days. Noah sends out the raven and the dove and so on. And then there's another 14 days after that. And finally the dry land appears. And so now you think, okay, everything's done, it's all dried up, let's go. No, he's there for another 57 days, for a total of 382 days over a year. Noah knew that God was the one that put him in there, and he was waiting for God to say, it's time to get out. He was faithful, and we have to be too. And so, so God lingers sometimes. Sometimes he allows us to go through things, but we have to hold on. that 25 cents we have to hold on to that faith god will remember us he will remember us he hasn't forgotten us and that memory will come at some point to mind and then he'll begin to act on our behalf the bible says in the book of psalms that many are the afflictions of the righteous and that word afflictions means hardships or perplexing circumstances it's not just sicknesses it could be anything Many are the afflictions of the righteous. We're not talking about the world, they have their troubles. But the righteous have all these problems, and there are many of them. So, so, that shouldn't surprise us that we have many. It's not because we're bad, it's not because we're failures. Yes, sometimes we bring trouble on ourselves. But even if we aren't, if we're doing the best we can, the devil brings lots our way. But we have a promise the Lord delivereth us out of them all. There's not one circumstance, there's not one trial that you will ever face. That God will not bring you out of. He will. Now there is something unique about the memory of God and the mind of God. We said God's memory is perfect and all of that. It's not like ours. But he has this other unique ability. And that is God is capable and able to forget a memory. Bible speaks in Micah about the sea of God's forgetfulness. But I want to read this quote because Brother Branham really states it well in the message investments. He said when your sins are confessed and your sins are dropped into the bleach of the blood of the Son of God. He said it remits sin so much it's put in the sea of God's forgetfulness. Notice this now. It can never be remembered in his sight anymore. We remember it. That's the problem. That's the problem with our memories. We remember things that we should be forgetting. And we forget the things we should be remembering. But God's able to actually forget it completely. It's gone. And so that's why you have to be so careful. You know, when a brother and sister accuses another. You know, if somebody's put a sin under the blood and it's truly been put under the blood and it's forgotten from God. And you're accusing them. What do you think God thinks about that? He doesn't even know what you're speaking of. You are falsely accusing your brother or your sister if you take that in the, the real truth of it before God if it's been put under the blood it can never be remembered in his sight and he said then what does that make a man he said a son of God God he noticed this he said God never remembers you to be a sinner imagine we remember that though and that's what that's what a lot of our trouble is we remember those mistakes but God doesn't remember them if we've confessed them he said, "He doesn't remember you are as a sinner. you are a son, you are a daughter." He said, "There's no more remembrance of sin at all. None. He puts it in the sea of forgetfulness, the bleach, the sea of forgetfulness, Brother Brown said, it "Is Christ's blood that was shed for you." And therefore he said, "Then you and you and God are father and Son by Jesus Christ's grace, not by anything you've done, but by His grace." But, you know, we, we think of those things, and we hang on to those things, and, and we remember them. And sometimes we remember other people's sins, too, as I just said. Sometimes we have trouble with that. If we've been hurt, sometimes we have trouble to forgive. We were, uh, Brother Timothy might remember that. When we were in Israel, we went to this glass art museum. I, I remembered we went into this room, real dark-lit room, and it had this sculpture there with these uh, faces on it, that, that kind of blood. And it was just a gory-looking thing. And it was a memory of the Holocaust. And the lady that was, that was touring us there, she said, you know, this here is so that we will never forget and that we will never forgive. I remember all of us, you know, the people in the room just gasped because that's not the way a Christian is. But that was her attitude. They were still harboring that from all of those years. And it wouldn't be easy if it was you and your family. Maybe she had relatives you know, that that died, you know, it's possible. But she said, it's here so we don't forget and we don't forgive. But you have got to forgive. You might not be able to forget. That's just a limitation of these minds. But you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. So it's, it's different. You know, God thinks differently in that respect. But it's important to remember that. So when we're approaching God, if we put these things under the blood, we... We can tell the devil he's a liar when he comes at us with these things. Because God doesn't know about them. They're, they're not on your record. You say, well, you know, is there going to, Brother Branham said, when you do wrong, you know, you're going to get a whipping for it. But that's not your problem. That's God. He'll do that. We all know that. We do wrong things. We're going to get a whipping for it. But that's all it is. God does that. And then you keep going on. Brother Branham said, you go on, you confess that thing and you go on and you rejoice with a hallelujah on your heart. You don't have to live under condemnation. You don't have to do that because you feel like you have to punish yourself. You don't have to do that. God takes care of whatever needs to be done. Your part is just to put that thing by confession under the blood. I want to talk about Rachel in the Bible. Another character who, you know, Jacob saw her at the well and he he loved her and wanted to marry her. And he served for seven years and then was tricked into taking Leah, and then another seven years he served for Rachel. Well, God noticed, and it's in the. It's in, I'm just going to read a few uh, selected verses in, in Genesis 29 and verse 31, that, that God noticed that Leah was, the Bible says, hated, but really it's that Leah wasn't really loved by, by Jacob. And so uh, the Bible says he opened Leah's womb. Because of that, he opened Leah's womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, if, if you would take it from the perspective of Rachel, Rachel could not help that she was born more fair than Leah. Rachel could not help that Jacob loved her more than he loved Leah. It wasn't her fault. It was the way God made her. And so it's like she's being punished. And so she's, she's desiring to have children. And, uh, you know, uh, well, in, in fact, neither wife was very happy because Leah... I don't think Leah was too concerned about children as, as she was. She wanted Jacob's love. You can see that in the scripture. She wanted Jacob's love. So she, so she was having children, thinking, and in fact, even in one of the verses, it'll say, after she had a child, now he will love me. And it was like that was the only reason she was having But But Rachel more wanted the children. So they, neither wife was very happy. And Rachel at one point tells Jacob, you know, give me children lest I die. What could he do about it? it he wasn't the one that closed her womb but just i want to just go through quickly these of course from these children come the patriarchs these are the patriarchs so leah has has four children one right after the other the first four patriarchs and rachel's still barren and then as we as we go through we see rachel has this idea well i can't have children i'm going to offer my maid and so she offers her maid bilhah and uh, to jacob and He has a son by her, which was Dan. He was the fifth patriarch. And then a second son, Naphtali, which was the sixth patriarch. Well, Leah didn't want to be left out, so she offers her maid. Because at this point, Leah had stopped conceiving. And so she offers her maid, and they have two more children. Zilpah, she has Gad, and then Asher, sons seven and eight. Now we've got eight patriarchs. Rachel still hasn't had any children of her own. Then the Lord opens Leah's womb again. And she bears her fifth son, Issachar, the ninth patriarch. She bears a sixth son, Zebulun, which became the tenth patriarch. Now we know there's only two more coming. And this happened over a period of years. So if you think, but from the time that Jacob met Rachel, it was 14 years before they even got married. And depending on who you, you read, the scholars say it could have been almost that much time again. Before we come to Genesis 30 and 22. Because in all of this time, I know she... We see in the scripture where she was after Jacob, you know, but I believe that Rachel sought the Lord as well, that God would open her womb. Because the Bible says in Genesis 30 and 22, it says, And God remembered Rachel. And God hearkened to her and opened her womb. But it was years. It was years that it took. How many times would Rachel have asked God? How many times has she entreated him to, to open her womb? And then all of a sudden, God remembers her. Not that he had forgotten. It's not that he didn't know that she was asking. But it was now time to bring that thought forward. He always intended to open her womb. And now the time had come. And she opens her womb. And of course, she has Joseph and then Benjamin. And dies in childbirth. And those are the the 12 patriarchs. But you know, you can look and say, well, why was she made to wait so long? And other people... You know, we see in the scripture, they, they prayed and they got an instant answer. That's not up to us to question. I think about the parable of the man that hired the workers in the book of Matthew. And he hired some early in the morning. And in the, if you read it, I don't want to take the time because I have a little bit to get through. And, but he hires them in the morning and he tells them that he's going to give them a penny. And so then after he hires them, the Bible says the third hour and then, you know, he goes on the sixth hour and at different times during the day, he hired more. And in that, he said, I will give you what's right. He didn't say what he was paying them. And he come up to the 11th hour and he hires someone. He hires some people at the 11th hour, comes to the end of the day. And those workers who worked the shortest amount of time got paid first and they got paid a penny as well. And of course, the people that labored the whole day, they didn't like that. But, you know, he said, am, am I not able to do with what I want? Am I not just? And I want you to think about it. You know, we've been serving the Lord. I've been, I was a boy when, when the message came our way. And, and so it's been, you know, 50 plus years that, that the message has been that we've been serving the Lord in this message. And, but, you know, there's going to be people come in at the last hour like the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross lived his entire life in sin. He gets on the cross and, and he's there. And he recognizes, and he says, Lord, remember me. Remember me, he says. And here he's in his dying moments. But you know, those ones that come in in the final hours of this age that we're in, which I don't believe we're going to be here a whole lot longer, they're going to get the same reward as us. But you know, I, I don't feel bad about that. I've got loved ones out there. I'll be quite happy if they, when they come in. Not if they come in, but when they come in. And that's how you have to look at it, too, when they come in. So there will be some that come in in those final hours. God will remember and will save those ones. Now, Abraham, we know that God gave a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation and that they would be a stranger in a land, would serve them, you know, for 400 years and so on. And we know that 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 happened. And then it comes down to the time, close to the time of their deliverance. And what happens there, I want to go to Exodus, Exodus 2. In Exodus 2, what's very interesting is that, you know, the children of Israel went down into Egypt as guests. And they were comfortable there. And there was no pressure. And when it came time for them to be delivered, God had to turn the heat up on them a little bit. Because they really were enjoying things too much. And I want you to think about the time we're in now. You know, I, I fear sometimes that we might be a little bit too comfortable. But we see what's going on in the world now. I know for me, and it's not just because I'm getting older, but this world is not as nice a place as it used to be. And, and, and more and more, year after year, I feel myself desiring to move on. Really. There's, there's, there's a lot less that I enjoy about this life now. Because of the sin and because of the direction it's going. And I think that, that's intentional. Because the Bible says, you know, when you see these things become, come to pass, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. He says that, that he is coming for those who are looking for him. If we're not looking for him, I would be a little bit fearful that we might be left behind. He's coming for them who are looking. It says in Revelation, even so, Lord Jesus, come. When we are praying those kind of prayers, then I think we're getting really close because that's what happened here. Exodus 2, verse 23. It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And notice verse 24. Here's the trigger in this case. And God heard their groaning And God remembered his covenant with Abraham. He hadn't forgot it. But now they were in the condition to receive it. And their groaning was that trigger. Okay, it's time to bring that thought forward. He remembered his covenant. And he looked upon the children of Israel, it says in verse 25, and had respect unto them. And from there we know that he begins to call Moses and and bring him there for the deliverance. I want to look at Hannah, another one in the Bible who had a problem where she was not able to bear children. And she was, you know, uh, just like Rachel, desirous that the Lord would minister to that. And, 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 but she had, you know, her husband had another wife, Penina, who, who was able to have children. And so she rubbed it in a lot to her. And, and, uh, and, and in fact, the Bible refers to her as an adversary in many ways. You know, devil loves to rub things in when things are not going the, the way you want to, or you're trying to, to to move on. With he loves to to rub it in when, when you don't seem to be making progress. That's just his. He loves to do that. And so she keeps praying. She was just so so upset, but she finally goes down there to Shiloh and and, and before the priest, and she begins to to speak to him about that. And and there, the Lord at that time began. To quicken a seed of faith in her heart. And the Bible says, and just saving time again, that she went away from there with that faith, with that 25 cents, as it were. And and her countenance was no more sad. You can read it in the scriptures there. And when she comes back from there, the Bible says, and just for reference sake, it's in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 19. It says, they rose up early in the morning, or early, sorry, in the morning, early, and worshiped before the Lord, and returned, came to their house to Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Lord remembered her. And, 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 the, and the next verse actually says, when it come to pass that when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, she bare a son, called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. So God was responding to her prayer. It was her prayer he was responding to. He was remembering her. He was remembering her. Now I want to go back to the original scripture that we read here. And we just read a portion of it. But I want to go back and look at this this story. And this is when God comes down and visits Abraham with the two angels that were going to go to Sodom. And so I want to pick this up. And and look at it in just a little bit of detail in Genesis chapter 18 beginning at the 16th verse. They're there and they they have some time of fellowship together. And then it says in the 16th verse that the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And of course they're getting ready now to go to Sodom. And we know why they're going to Sodom but Abraham doesn't know why they're going to Sodom. Not just yet. And notice verse 17. And the Lord said Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall, become, shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And notice this part, verse 19. For I know him. For I know him. See, God knew that when Abraham became aware of what was going on, that it was going to cause Abraham to do something that actually made a huge difference in the outcome. He said, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment and that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So God knew the reaction. So he tells Abraham what's going on that they're going to, uh, in verse 20, he said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous. And Abraham knew this. He said, I'm going to go down and see Whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. And so then the men, the two angels, turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. And Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now it sinks in. Abraham realizes what is coming. He knows that when they go down there, the condition of Sodom, that God is not going to let let it get by. And so he's thinking about that. And so his response, his very next response in the 23rd verse, Abraham draws near to the Lord. He says, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now you might think, why would Abraham ask that question? Why would he ask? Because they're, they're all wicked. He asked because he had family there. He had a nephew there. And, and you know, Lot is referred to as a righteous man, but Brother Branham said... He was really uh, lukewarm and half backslid. But he was a believer of, some, of sorts. But he wasn't really where he should be or he wouldn't have been down there in the first place. And so Abraham begins to ask these questions. You know, would you destroy for 50 and for 40 and so on? He goes down to 10. And he said, well, if there's 10 righteous, I won't destroy it. And then, and then they go their separate ways. Abraham goes to his place and the Lord goes and... He goes home and you know Abraham was probably thinking well is there even 10 righteous there and he you know he's doing the math you know he got Lot and his wife you got the two daughters maybe maybe their husbands so you're up to about six but and it doesn't mention about any children if they had children but he, he's he's a little short of 10. And so Abraham probably went to bed that night, you know, kind of wondering, how is this going to turn out? How is this going to play out? Well, we flip the scene over to to Sodom in Genesis 19 and verse 12. The angels come to Lot's house. It's interesting. Why do they go to Lot's house? We'll find out here soon. It says in verse 12, the men said to Lot, has thou any here besides son-in-law and sons and daughters and Whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Well, that's pretty strong words. That should have been enough for Lot. And it did stir him up. The Bible says in verse 14, he goes out and speaks to his sons in laws which married his daughters, and say, you know, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked to his sons-in-law. He couldn't even convince them. The only ones he could convince were his own flesh and blood. So it was just the four. But the interesting thing is when the morning comes, in the 15th verse, the morning comes, Lot's not really ready to go. The Bible says when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, pressed him, urged him, saying, you need to take your wife and your daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. But Lot didn't rush to leave. Verse 16, while he lingered, the Bible said, The men laid hold on his hands. They weren't really going to go without being forced. He said, the men laid hold on his hand, one upon his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. Notice what it says, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. So when you look at this, Lot's salvation, as it were, from the destruction of Sodom. Really hadn't, didn't have much to do with Lot. It was the mercy of God. But why was it that way? Why was it that way? Well, let's look at the verse 27. Abraham gets up in the morning, probably didn't sleep a whole lot, thinking about what might take place. The Bible says Abraham gets up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looks over at Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the plain. And behold, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And so he sees the destruction. I imagine he's wondering, what happened? What happened to Lot? What happened to his family? But notice the 29th verse. It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. It wasn't Lot he was remembering. It was Abraham. And sent Lot out. Lot didn't even want to go out, but it was Abraham. It was Abraham's request. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let me tell you what Brother Branham said in hearing, recognizing, and acting on the word of God. Brother Branham said, speaking about Lot, he said he'd have never come out. He'd have never been called out, called out, not even called out, if it had not been for the mercy of Abraham. The mercy of Abraham. Abraham. Can I find 50 men? When he asked those questions, it was the mercy of Abraham that Lot was called out. Now think about your loved ones that you're praying for. You say, what, what influence do I have? I'm going to read you something towards the end about that. But your prayers, don't think that they have no effect. You might look at them out there and say, well, they don't seem like they're, they're coming any, it looks like they're going further away. It's going to be your, one of these days, it's going to be your mercy. One of these days, God is going to remember you. He's going to remember your prayers for your loved ones. And he's going to bring them out. And you know, prayer is so powerful. We we underestimate it. That even the prayers of those that have passed on. You know, God answers those sometimes after they're gone. Brother Branham was having a baptismal service for his son, Billy Paul, and his nephew, Melvin. In 1950, he was, he was getting ready to baptize them, and he's, he relates this statement. He said, Heavenly Father, 1,900 years since the scripture has been written, and your promise is still moving on. And he said, Now, Lord, here are these young people. There were two young ladies on his right. They've accepted you as their Savior. They believe the gospel story. To my left, Lord, is my little nephew, Melvin, and my own boy. He said, oh, God, if it's possible this morning that the two mothers could be called to look over the banister and to look down and see their boys now. He said, how happy I am, Lord, to know that you answer prayer. He said that poor little mother, Ruth, that would have been Melvin's mother. He said that poor little mother, Ruth, she's gone on years ago, but her prayer is answered now. The prayer is answered now. She prayed that he would love you and serve you. And he's making this stand this morning to these others. Their mother's maybe has gone on, Lord. We don't know. Thou does, but whatever, he said, answer prayer. There's another time Brother Brown gives an altar call. It's actually, it was in Shreveport. The Message of Love in 1956. And you're probably familiar with this quote, but this, this piece of the quote was always stood out to me the young people had come to the altar and Brother Branham made this statement. He said, I feel God that everyone here at this altar has been accepted in your sight. That's a pretty rare thing. You know, I've been at youth camps at different times. People come to the altar and a lot of them go through the same and put on the, you know, go through the same motions but a lot, a lot of them walk away the same as they came, unfortunately. But Brother Branham said, I believe every one of these at the altar has been accepted. He said, their names are on the book. Angels are singing. Bells of heaven are ringing. Satan's defeated and the and they're moving back down the corridors of hell with their black flags draping. But I want you to notice this. He said, the angels have gone to heaven to rejoice around the throne where mothers and fathers are waiting to hear the message coming back from this meeting. He said, they've got boys and girls sitting here where loved ones have gone on and they're waiting. I believe those loved ones that have gone on and also prayed for them. I've got two older brothers that don't serve the Lord. My mom and dad prayed for them absolutely all the time. And they're both gone. But I believe one of these days God's going to remember Amen. those prayers. You know, there's a scripture and it's, it's been quoted often in Jeremiah where it talks about God is going to come and perform his good word. And that he knows the thoughts that he thinks of us. Thoughts of peace to give us an expected end. You know, the, the believer, we, we know what's coming. We know what our end is. We know where things are going. We may not know tomorrow and specifically in our life, but we know where this is going to end up. And God's got good plans and good things in store for his people. But you know, the world doesn't have that. The sinner doesn't have that. But we have that confidence that God has an objective. And everything that God brings our way, it's with purpose. Nothing happens just accidental. Nothing just happens randomly. It might seem that way to you. And it might seem surprising as well. Sometimes things happen that just shocks you, sometimes almost paralyzes you when, when you encounter some trials and tests. But nothing surprises God. He knew it was coming. He allowed it to be. He may have even ordained it to be. But God is, is, is going to bring everything. The Bible says all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Very simple scripture. We quote it all the time. But sometimes it's hard to believe that when they're in the middle of the trouble. It's hard to believe there's going to be a good outcome. How can good come of this? But if you're a believer, when you get on the other side of that trial, you can look back and and see how God brought you through and the purpose sometimes. Maybe you won't know all all the ins and outs of it, but God will bring you through. It's not all valley. You know, the God of the mountain is God in the valley too. And so he has plans. He's going to give us an expected end. You know, I read one time Charles Spurgeon said, blessed be God, it is an expected end. He said, the ungodly people can only look forward to a dreaded end. An end of your foolish mirth, an end of your carelessness, an end of your boasting. He said, you fear your end, but God will give his people an expected end. Suppose he said that end should be the coming of Christ. Oh, how we long for it. He said, brethren, the saints are prepared before they go. Our Lord does not pluck his fruit unwisely. Foolish people, he said, may tear the green apples from the tree with a pole and a wrench and bruise them as they throw them into the basket. But our Lord values his fruit and he waits until it is quite ripe and he gathers it. Sometimes we wonder why our loved ones different things. But God knows he has a purpose. He has a time for everything. He doesn't make any mistakes. When he puts forth his hand, he said, the fruit bows down to it and parts from the bough without a strain. When the believer comes to die, it will not be to an end which he feared, but to an end which he expected. Now at the very end of, of things, when the, the, we go to the book of Revelations, when things are wrapping up, there's two things that God is going to remember since we're speaking about God's memory. In Revelation 18, it talks about how that God will remember the iniquities and the sins of the unrepentant sinner. It speaks of that in Revelation 18 and 4 and 5. But he also will remember the prayers of the righteous in Revelation 5 and 8. Talks about how that when, when he took the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down. And it talked about they had harps and golden vials full of odors, which were the prayers of the saints. So some of your prayers, you know, they're, they're, they're used now and they're going to accomplish things. Some of those prayers are going to be poured out one day over there. I was reading when, when I was looking at this message in the book of Malachi, and there's a reference in there to something called the book of remembrance. We know there's a book of life and all these things that write your life story, and the, the sinner has a book too, has things that track what happens in their life. But there's this it was interesting the way that it reads in Malachi 3, and so I just wanted to, to mention this. Malachi 3, verse 16. It said, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, which is a good thing for a believer to do, to fellowship. But notice what it says. The Lord hearkened and heard it. So the Lord pays attention to our conversations, to the things that we do. He said, they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. The Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. So this is very specific To these groups, this group of people that fear the Lord and that thought upon his name. So the contents of this book are things that God took note of in our lives. The things that were important, that were memorable of those that feared the Lord. And verse 17, referring to these people of whom I trust all of us are a part. He said, and they shall be mine. Saith the Lord of hosts in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them. As a man spareth his own son that serveth him. God's eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. He's looking at us and mindful of us. And so when we look back in our lives, we see the flaws and we see all of those things. But God, as I said earlier, looks at us differently than we look at ourselves. Brother Bram said the things that you do, the words that you say, and how you treat your neighbor, and what you do about Christ will be an everlasting memorial. You know, we have the opportunity as Christians that God can, because he can forget the sins that we make, you know, he can edit our record. You know, like you do when you're typing up something, you know, you can get that thing just perfect. Well, God's wanting to do that with each one of us. Yes, we make mistakes every day, but God just kind of takes care of that. So that when the record is done, it's all good things. And a real good way to look at that is to compare the Old Testament and the New Testament. When you look at Hebrews 11, you read Hebrews 11, it's a summary of, of the heroes of faith. And you know, those, those men and women that are referenced, because there's women referenced there too in, those, in that scripture. You know, they had mistakes and made mistakes. And if you go to the Old Testament, which didn't leave anything out. You can read about Abraham and Sarah, for example. You can see things with Abraham. You see Sarah. You know, we often criticize Sarah. Oh, she, she didn't believe how much doubt she had. But you know, the record in Hebrews of Sarah doesn't mention that. Right. Hebrews 11:11. you know, it's a memorable, actually even a memorable scripture because we know, uh, you know, we, we celebrate, you call it Veterans Day here. But on November 11th, the 11th day, the 11th month, the 11th hour of the day. We call it Remembrance Day at home. Well, on the the 11th verse of the 11th chapter of Hebrews talks about Sarah. And I want to read that scripture because this is her, this is the summary. This is the memory. This is what's memorable about Sarah in the New Testament. Through faith, also Sarah. Faith. Herself. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. We know Abraham was faithful. We talk about Abraham's faith. But with Sarah, we often go back to the Old Testament. We often point to the mistake. But it doesn't mention the mistake here. Because Sarah did have to come to a place where she believed, just like Abraham, for her body to be changed. It wasn't enough for Abraham to believe. She had to believe and she come to that place finally it might have took her a little bit longer than him but she got there and that's what god remembers that's what was important enough that it was written of her here in the scripture and so if we can look at if we can, i mean that's a good example we look at our lives we can see those times when we weren't very faithful when we've had, you know made mistakes and said things that were not very good but if you put those things under the blood they're gone They're gone from the record. And then what's left are those good things. The times you did reach out in faith. The times you did stand. Those are the things that God will remember of you. Brother Brown preached a message, and I'm going to close here soon in just a few moments with uh, this thought. He he preached a message called Mother's Day in 1959. He was 50 years old at the time. you know, and, And by that time, he had lost a number of his loved ones. And in that message, he was reminiscing about what it would be like when he got over to the other side and he began to meet some of those ones. And he, he related in that message, he said the first one probably he would see would be his baby Sharon. And he said, you know, she, she won't be shaking with meningitis when I see her. And Then he thought about his wife, Hope. He said she won't have those bony hands and the sunken cheeks, which is the way he remembered her when she, she left. Then he, th- then he mentioned Edward and Charles. He said he, Charles won't be dragging his leg. His dad, his brother Howard, who had got right with the Lord just a few days before he left, he was just reflecting on these, and then he made the statement. After that, he said, well, come Brother Seward and Brother Frank Broy, Brother George the Ark. Oh, he said, the resurrection means a lot to me. He had a lot of, a lot of people that had gone on, and, and, and as we get older, we have those things too. I got my parents and different ones that have gone on. Soon there will be more over there, maybe than here in many ways. You know, But he said, the resurrection means a lot to me. I'm anticipating on that great crowning hour. He said, as the light begins to spread, he said, we'll know as we are known. And we'll understand and we'll remember our acquaintances, the ones that's been here, been there. And I want you to catch this here. And you may have heard this before, but this has always been really striking to me. It's always been really encouraging to me. Brother Branham said, They'll, he, said he said, many. Many, he said, there will be many there that we didn't even think would be there. Many there. Think about that. Can you? I can think of people. I can think of some of my loved ones right now that if the Lord was to come tonight, I would think, I don't know, in, in my flesh. He said, when we get over there, there will be many there that we didn't even think would be there. But I want you to, here's the thing, why will they be there? I want you to notice what he said. He said, for I know it's at that time I believe that the bread that we have cast upon the human troubled waters will return to us upon that day. Why? It was your effort, it was my effort. What we have sown, the seeds that we have sown. He said, when we see the effects of our testimony on people that we didn't understand their action toward it. How many times have we tried to witness or we tried to You know, uh, shed a light somewhere and it just seemed like it wasn't accomplishing anything. But it was. But it was. We didn't understand why they were acting that. He said, They'll probably be there. What a day that will be. And here's what he goes on. He said, And the seeds that we sowed, not even thinking what they would do, we just sowed the seeds. He said, But here they are. The seeds that we sowed. And who are those seeds? He said, They brought forth precious fruits, those seeds that we sow, those seeds that you have sown. He said, they brought forth precious fruits, and we will see them on that day, the wayward loved ones and relatives. And we all have them. We all have those wayward loved ones and relatives that we've been trying to sow seeds with. And sometimes we don't see, seems like it's not doing anything, but don't stop sowing the seeds. Because God will remember. Don't stop praying for them, because God will remember. One of these days, it may not be until we cross over that we see the realization of some of those, but that doesn't mean we should stop. God will do it, God will remember. He will remember you, He will remember your prayers. He knows you. Maybe the instrument players could come. I'd like to sing that song if you know it here, or you can sing it. He knows my name, He knows my every thought. He knows what you are going through, what you've gone through, what you will go through. There's nothing that will come your way in this life. There's no trial that he will bring you to that he will not bring you through. Doesn't matter what it is, how hard it is. It could be difficult, but he will bring you through. He will be faithful. We just need to be faithful. Amen. I believe he knows your name. Let's stand this evening as we sing this together. Oh mm-hmm.